I'm Jeff Sheesby, a.k.a. The Old Man Who Bets. And I'm Anthony Latino, a.k.a. The Odds Fellow. And this is Short-Term High Volatility Investments, your one-stop shop for sports betting and insights no matter what season is in full swing. And now, let's cash some tickets. Football season is upon us. The storm is ravaging New York City after it did its number on the rest of the U.S., but we're rebuilding and we're ready for football. This is Short-Term High Volatility Investments. I'm Jeff Sheesby, a.k.a. The Old Man Who Bets alongside my main man, Ant Latino. Perhaps you've seen him on Twitter or on the Dad Bots podcast. He is the odds fellow. Ant, talk to the good people. How are we doing? Strapping in for football. We got a little tease with college football week zero, as they like to call it in the biz, uh, out and about. So you got, uh, you know, you got to see the action maybe feel the fall foliage. Maybe it was cooling down. Maybe not. It's still humid where I am. Um, but I'm ready, you know, just kind of strapping in, getting ready for the the full season of the NFL to kick off on September 9th. So luckily we have a couple weeks between now and then. Um, so I think we are planning on doing a little AFC preview today and then maybe a little NFC preview next week to squeeze it all in, you know. Mm. Sounds perfect, baby. A little bit of this, yeah. a little bit of that. We also, we're recording today on Wednesday, have the Battle of Alabama tonight, UAB versus Jacksonville State. I've got no action on it. I didn't even know Jacksonville State was in Alabama until I <laughs> did a quick Google search on it. Thought maybe there was a bad joke somewhere about how this will be quite literally the battle for Bama and the Roll Tide crowd would really go nuts. But you got anything on that game? Not yet, but I think, uh, you know, 16 and a half point spread floating around there. Do you take the home dog getting more than two touchdowns? Could could be Could be value. Could be a strong line. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Either way, by the time we release this podcast, that game will have already been over, so let's move right into it. NFL, AFC, how are we feeling, Ant? You've got some futures. I know you've got some things I love. I'm looking at one of my own teams, uh, the New England Patriots, so a little bit of a homer bet, but I think I've got the data behind it to sell anybody who thinks it's simply a homer bet. So, well, the, Ant, the fun thing you. about what do you, Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say the fun thing about one of my picks and, and the angle I'm going to talk about a little bit when we deep dive is I think it goes directly – opposite you so we could have a little short-term high volatility investments head-to-head happening throughout the season which could be a fun little tracker maybe we'll get some graphics and we'll say you know odds fellow here old man here you know what's happening who's winning the futures market you know it could be a little could maybe a bet maybe a side bet. yeah a house divided if nothing else yeah. and uh <laughs> you know tensions have never run high on short-term short-term high volatility investments but perhaps they will for the first time ever Love uh, it. but anyway and talk to me a little bit about what you look for when handicapping football. Yeah, I think one of the stats that has really emerged, and you know, I think you'll see this used a lot. I know, Jeff, you use it, is uh, DVOA. And that's listed on Football Outsiders. Definitely a good page to subscribe to. Um, you know, They do have some free stats and free content and then some paid stuff uh, that is definitely worth looking into. And the big thing about DVOA and why I think it's important is it's really more of a stat you know, measurement that is adjusting for value over average. So you know, they are looking at the full season play by play, and they're looking at success on that, you know, based on the league average and a number of variables. So they might look at down distance, location on the field, score gap, quarter, you know, the offensive or defensive ratings, which we'll call quality of that opponent, right? So they're kind of weighting all those different pieces together to to give you a little bit more of a measurement of, you know, how that team is faring against that average, right? So it shows you a little bit more fairly than I think just looking at like, you know, a, a pure offensive or defensive ranking that's just going off yards per game or, you know, yards allowed, right? If we're just talking pure offense or defense and it is really settling into like, well, what's the situation of the opponents? 
the plays and, and that stuff that matters and kind of waiting that out. So you get a little bit more of a, you know, I guess what, what's the right word, a pure, true statistic, you know, measurement that you can compare these teams, you know, to, to and from against now early in the season, you know, that data is still important, but it's obviously still adjusting, right? Um, this thing really hits its sweet spot as you get a little bit later into the year and you have better measurements and better statistics of these teams, you know, in terms of what they've been doing, some of the tendencies, how some of the, the quality teams versus less quality teams are shaking out. And then that can all go into the waiting system. You know, if a team is playing a, a very easy schedule, you might see some of that in strength of schedule, but you're also going to get in some of this tendencies because they may be blowing out or really feasting and padding stats for lack of a better word, right. Against some of these poorer opponents and vice versa holds true too. So again, it kind of gets you to that pure metric, Jeff. I know you use it as well. Yeah, I think a great summary there. Uh, again, shout out to Football Outsiders. All you got to do is make a free account at, at footballoutsiders.com. Uh, they don't sponsor us, but we love their data. Just like we love dailybaseballdata.com, and we love fan graphs, and we love baseball savant, neither here nor there. Yeah. But one thing I think I didn't use really at all last year when just looking through kind of their data sets this year on that DVOA schedule – um, is variance. They've got a stat specifically measuring the statistical variance of a team's weekly DVOA performance. Obviously, teams ranked higher are more consistent. Teams ranked more low uh, or lower are, are, are least consistent. And, you know, we look for that those trap spots. We look for those, you know, Thursday night football games, added rest, et cetera. I think those variance stats can also help kind of figuring out what team we're going to get there. Um, and I felt like last year I was lost about the middle of the season. Pretty good early season, pretty good late late season. But I had two or three weeks of just some of the worst betting of my life. And I think if I look towards that variance, there was a lot of games that the data did not predict the outcome, at least in, in my in my humble opinion. Of course, football is only 17 games, 18-week uh, season, which feels weird to say. Um, and that compared to 162 games of MLB is, is wildly different in terms of week to week outcomes. So I think I'm going to lean a little bit more closely, especially mid season on that variant statistic to try to hone in on, on teams that, that are, are, are wildly consistent. And I think that's obviously kind of a proxy for what coaching for, for locker room, for, for kind of those intangibles. Uh, and hopefully we can make sense of it. Yeah. Another big one that, that I think, again, as you get further into the season is net rating, um, you know, or net point differential said another way is just really looking at, and I think that comes up in a lot of sports. You know, we've talked about that in baseball um, from a run differential standpoint. So you really see again, how these teams are performing and, you know, if there should be maybe some regression coming. Um, so I think all this stuff is, it's a good lead into some of the futures, you know, market, because you can look at what these teams did last year on a full season basis. You can look at some of the off season moves and, 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 you know, pieces that maybe came together or left. Um, how these teams change things. You, you obviously have to mark up some of the intangibles, coaching changes that that could matter. That could be a huge thing just from a culture standpoint, sometimes the change of a voice um, in a locker room. But, you know, there's a tons of different ways, I think, to handicap, uh, especially from a futures market perspective. Um, but DVOA is definitely, uh, you know, somewhere I started. Love it. Love it. So let's just ride that right into our best bets here. Um, I know yeah. we're looking at at least one AFC East win total, as am I. Uh, Want to kick it off with the Dolphins of Miami? Let the fun begin with the head-to-head pension building. You guys will feel it throughout the, the you know, the conversation. But um, yeah, my, but no, uh, I am targeting. I just said that I was actually going into cardio, <laughs> so uh, I'm ready. The blood Spiked. is boiling, baby. Love it. Things are getting fucking hostile up in this bitch. <laughs> Take it away, yeah. Take it away. So Miami over nine and a half. You can find that most places. I've seen it as high as plus one twenty-five, as low as minus one twenty-five. So do your shopping. But though all those lines are fixed at 
minus nine and a half. I would love a nine if the push was out there. So may continue shopping and seeing what I find. Uh, but right now, nine and a half, and I do like it over that number. Uh, the Dolphins went 10 and six last year. Um, so you might say, okay, they're actually adjusting it down when you look at a 16 game versus a 17 game season, which mm-hmm. is understandable. I think some of that has to do with the strength of schedule, the strength of that division, and just the AFC as a conference in general um, looks like a pretty quality conference. We'll get to that probably before we break a little bit later, talking about where there's some upside or downside with with some other teams and some bad teams that I want to call out. But with the Dolphins specifically, you know, 10 wins will win this bet. Uh, That means the team needs to go, what, 10 and 7 at best, right, or at worst, um, and and can go better than that. So – not a huge swing from last year, but what I'm keying in on really is a couple things statistically and then Tua, the Tua factor. And I think what is interesting here is the Dolphins went 10 and 6 last year with Tua in the mix. Um, he started nine games. He went six and three, 11 TDs, five interceptions. It wasn't always pretty, uh, which is why he was in and out. He didn't start every game. Uh, I think even some of the games he started, maybe he didn't finish because um, Ryan Fitzmagic was in the mix. But what you have to remember with that is this is Tua coming off a rookie season in his rookie season, coming off a dramatic hip injury, right? Um, at Alabama, uh, COVID offseason, no first team reps because Fitzmagic was there and in the mix. Um, and I think the worst part that's not talked about enough is this team brought in Chan Gailey as the offensive coordinator, retired old man, Chan Gailey, been around the game for a long time. Brought him in specifically to design and run an offense geared towards Ryan Fitzmagic because of his familiarity with him. I think in Buffalo, maybe even some other stops along the way. Um, When Tua got inserted and was playing sporadically, they never changed that offense. That was all geared towards Fitzpatrick and that offseason and those reps and, you know, everything that mattered. So what I'm looking here is the change just from an offensive coordinator standpoint and the time that he'll get under center and some of those reps. I think it means a lot that they'll actually be designing in his second year, a key year for sophomore quarterbacks, an offense that's actually geared to, to his strengths, you know? I think what's interesting here, and honestly, I don't, I'm not ready to buy into Tua. I think that's kind of where we differ here. I thought he looked right. mediocre more often than not last year. Of course, he had a couple big games where over 300, and it was, it was pretty. But, you know, I think Miami's defense bailed him out time and time again. They were fourth in terms of team turnover margin. Of course, he was 11-5, and five, so, you know, still positive there. But it, the numbers, I don't know. The, the eye test for me, the numbers look better than I thought the output did. And, you know, I was trying to figure out where that was. I wasn't sure maybe if this defense even scored uh, a ton of, like, pick sixes here. I don't have that data ahead of me. But it felt like they were winning games because of the defense. And, you know, we talked about this sophomore slump. I think you bring up a lot of good points and now have an offense, you know, tailored towards him a little bit more and coming off that injury. So that's a wash. But I do worry. I do worry about the sophomore slump. Yeah, yeah. I think that's real. I think the one downside here is the offensive line. Uh, they don't grade out high. I think Pro Football Focus had them ranked as 29th or 28th, was, uh, one of the two last year. Um, doesn't look like they're projected to be much higher than that, but you do have a lot of guys that are now in their either second or third year starting. Um, they didn't do a ton to bolster it. I would have liked them to, to see them bring in some new talent here. They went in a different direction offensively, um, which I'll get to too and, and some of the Tua stuff. Um, so I think the offensive line is probably the risk. You need those guys to make some strides. Do they need to be a top five, top 10 offensive line? No. Um, is Tua 
going to get the ball out quickly in this offense. I don't know. That's how last year's was designed. So that may be a component as well and try to use a little bit of his mobility uh, maybe to the advantage. So I think the line is probably a big X factor. But one thing on the offense they did do that I think will help Tua and I got this from Warren Sharp, another great follow on Twitter, um, especially, you know, gambling uh, on on NFL football. He does a bunch of great previews, too. But he had mentioned that from a, sep- you know, wide receivers getting separation standpoint, the Miami Dolphins were dead last or second to last last year. And what they did in the offseason was they went and got two guys who are going to be able to separate, hopefully at the pro level. Uh, one is Will Fuller. Uh, now, that's a... If you can't hear, I'm knocking on any wood I can find because that man right. cannot stay on the field. <laughs> but but if he does, right, uh, Fuller can get that separation, can be a better, bigger target um, with some speed, hopefully with some separation to create those pockets for Tua. And the other one is a former uh, a former teammate, I believe, right, from Alabama is Jalen Waddell. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get Waddell in the mix and, and get him, you know, a, a highly – touted highly ranked uh wide receiver prospect out of the draft this year that was their first pick overall i think at the at what number was that i don't know i don't know what number Waddle was i think it was five or six right it was it was pretty fairly high um so i like those moves plus in the draft they went after some other um you know two other defenders uh, a defensive end with their um 18th pick and then their early second round pick was a, a safety so jalen phillips from ucla 18th and javon holland uh from oregon two pack guys um 36 overall so you know i think what you hit on is the defense right and that's definitely a big piece here i liked some of the moves in the offseason that they did at that wide receiver level and we'll see what that does at the defensive side that that team was strong i mean under brian flores uh who is a belichick disciple uh, they made great strides defensive dvoa was 32nd in 2019 jumped to 11th in 2020 you know the 2019 year was really tough for them that's obviously why they were in the mix for you know some of these better uh quarterbacks like like Atua and that top pick um and and now you're looking to continue making strides and and building on that so hopefully you know there's less regression there from a defensive standpoint and they at least stay in that mix maybe even improve a little bit yeah and this is a defense that led the league in terms of turnover margin per game or, or turnovers per game uh, i think they were second in interceptions and fifth in, in fumbles to get them there um, so yeah, so what you're banking on is a, a, a positive improvement and a steady of defense. I was looking more at a defensive regression, thinking that those turnovers are more often than not random, I'm back, obviously yep. with an asterisk, not really random, but yep. in terms of season over season, hard to predict. Uh, and then thinking that Tua was, I don't know, going to be Tua some more, but I mean, the guy was great right. in college, right? Rooting for him. Of course. Um, I don't have yep. any direct action on the dolphins. I am a Patriots fan and I am betting on the Patriots. I do have a future of them on plus 350 to win the division. That one's a little bit of a homer Oopsie. bet and why we're not featuring it in today's show. But uh, I, I think you got some good stuff here. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't and look, hate two, it, and that's tough for me to right, say as a Patriots Right. <laughs> two, two quick things to close out here, and then we'll turn it over to the, the head-to-head aspect, is uh, I think they have some very winnable games on the, on the schedule too, right, which is obviously what you want to look for. Um, Jags, Texans, Panthers, Giants. Raiders and then two against the Jets, right? So even if you pretend they split the Jets, which could be, should be unlikely if they get the job done, um, you know, that right there is going to be six wins. A Jets sweep would push it over seven. Do they win every one of those games? No, probably not. But if you can get me to six or seven games in that mix, I think that's important. And and then you just have to, you know, win some of those other tougher games uh, to get over the top. So I think you're right in the mix. You hopefully split some of the other division games. And another way to look at this, if you do think they're going to win, go over that, maybe compete compete for the division crown. Do they have to win the division crown to get this? Maybe. But Brian Flores is sitting at the sixth 
level, uh, you know, best odds from a coach of the year perspective at plus 1600. I think he's tied with three other coaches, but, you know, pretty good, right? He's kind of not the top, uh, you know, worst odds in terms of being a favorite, um, but he's kind of in the mix, a couple down and, and plus 1600 is a, a nice number. If you have faith in the Dolphins overall, maybe that's a better look too. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. All good things there. Cool. Yeah. So we stay in the AFC East, I believe. Yeah, right? we stay in the AFC East here. I'm looking at the New England Patriots over nine and a half plus one hundred five. You could probably get that at minus nine or at nine minus one twenty as well. But I went for the plus money, uh, which perhaps was my my fandom and just trusting in Bill always. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, when I'm running through the schedule here, there's definitely some games that are going to be challenging that we need to win. I was looking more on the side of overall strength of schedule. The Pats coming into the season based off of last year's records, number 19 uh, in the league. So right in the middle of the pack, kind of the bottom third, which I thought was pretty good. Um, and, you know, I think what's interesting is, is really looking at 2019 into 2020, right? 2020 was a down year for the Pats. They lose Tom Brady. They bring in Cam Newton. We go 7-9. and nine. Offensive DVOA was 23rd. Defensive DVOA was 26. Both relatively mediocre, and we go 9-7. and seven. You know, I think if you watched a lot of those games, which some people did, some people didn't, with red zone, the Pats weren't coming up all that often because this offense was sputtering. But we were games against the Bills, the Seahawks, the Rams, that we had the ball in the red zone on the final drive of the, of the game and had an untimely turnover, a missed field goal. You know, overall, an outlier, sure, good defense, sure, not clutch, fine. But the, if, those, if those things go our way... We're talking about an entirely different narrative around the Patriots here. And, and those are coin flips. Of course, those are coin flips that, that Tom Brady pulled off. Neither here nor there. Anyway, I think the story of, of 2021 here is, is the story of upgrades. You know, we, again, we look at 21 to, uh, 2019 to 2020. In terms of points per game drop-off from 2019 to 2020, the Patriots were 31st in the league, well, second worst, minus 5.1, obviously not good. The record goes from 12-4 and 4 to 7-9, and 9. sure. But I think what's interestingly enough is, is that people think that the Patriots were actually pretty good in 2019. Their offense was still terrible. In terms of yards per play, in 2021, it was actually better than 2019. Cam Newton's Patriots had a better yards per play than Tom Brady's Patriots did in 2019, which is which is wild. And, and the sentiment that Cam was the issue of this offense, I think, is is slightly misguided. I think it's the lack of weapons that surrounded both Brady and Cam in 2019 and 2020. So let's hold that thought for a second. Moving on to the he, defense. He, I think it, people also, just to interject there, yeah. forget that he came back after one of those games or, or missed some time with the COVID issue and then kind of was a different quarterback after that point, right? That was a combination of a couple of those tough losses that I think they had a stomach and then, you know, potentially yeah. him getting sick, which we really don't have a sample size on how these guys and athletes were reacting, you know, within a couple of weeks and having to come back and strap back up. Big time, dude. Tanked at Denver, tanked against the Texans. Um, we lost three or four winnable games in that time span, which for sure I think people remember more so than the close games that we lost because it was like, Absolutely. oh, shit, they're terrible. But that's a really good point. Who knows what happens if they don't have COVID there. Either way, Cam, not on the squad anymore. So not that big of a deal. But you know, I think the defense is interesting, right? We're seeing 26 in DVOA here in 2020. Uh, but they do have a bend-don't-break unit. So overall efficiency, they do give up a lot of yards. So in 2020, uh, with 26th in DVOA, they were 8th in opponents' points per game. So interestingly enough, the defense, not that terrible. That was also a major downgrade, though, from 2019, where the Patriots were number one in terms of points per game. So, you know, I think at the end of the day, defense is something I'm not overly concerned about. Gilmore just went down for the first six weeks. That's obviously a tough pill to swallow. 
But Belichick just churns out top 10 defenses. I think they'll be a top 10 in, in, in points allowed again. And so a lot of that 2020 at, was was opt-out, right? And they, right, they were one of the most impacted teams. Yeah, I think it might have been a little overstated about how many people and the impact of the opt-outs. I yeah. for sure was one saying, oh, yeah, this defense <laughs> just depleted. But then I looked at the right. roster and I think, again, a little bit more. Not so much. But I'm assuming that if this defense with a shitty offense last year can get a seven wins, now let's go and talk about these upgrades again, right? Nothing too, too wild, but we only need three more wins here. Offensive upgrades, we go from Damian Bird, Nikhil Harry, and Ryan Izzo with sprinkles of Jacoby Myers. Combined, removing Myers from that equation, they barely had over 1,000 yards, the three of them, which is obviously not good, especially at that tight end position, 125 yards, 190 yards, I think it was in the season, 2020, Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bournes, and Jacoby Myers. Add in the gunslinger of Mac Jones. Let's uh, look at those college stats real quick. 77% completion rate, 4,500 yards on the dot, 41 touchdowns and four interceptions at Alabama. That's pretty damn good. Of course, people would say, well, his receivers were always wide open. Sure, he had a stud, uh, studly cast, but he looked great in preseason and now is the starting quarterback. So, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, spark notes here, I'm feeling the huge upgrades uh, of the Patriots offense with a solid defense is enough to get us there, especially combined with this 19th ranked strikes of schedule. I think the Pats make it. I think they win at least 10. I think we could split with the Bills. And then all of a sudden we're looking and that's where kind of the conversation around the, the plus 350 Patriots comes in to win the division. I think they could split with the Bills, at least at home. Going into Foxborough is a tough, tough place to play. Of course, going to Buffalo is as well. Uh, but the Pats have, kind of regardless of squad, they've marched out there, been pretty dominant at home for the, the better part of the last decade, uh, even when you threw Matt Castle in there when they only won 11 games and missed the playoffs. But at 10 here, you know, I think coming up from 7, that's nice. Probably is more realistically, or sorry, 9.5 need to get to 10. I like the movement up there from 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 the, from Vegas. <sighs> And I'm all about the Mac Jones era, baby. Give me that cigar. Man, yeah, I, I, I had to make sure we touched on that because I can't say I'm surprised he's starting. I'm surprised mm -hmm. that Cam got cut, right? So was that news at that time you know, surprising to you as a Pats fan? For sure. For sure was yeah. surprising because I've been over here preaching that Cam's not the right. issue, right? It was everything else. Right. Uh, but nonetheless, we're paying the guy less. Uh, you know, he had some COVID misunderstandings, which, you know, the Patriots are, are notoriously thin on mistakes, regardless of what they were. You fumble once, you might be cut the next week. So, I, I, obviously, Belichick said that that wasn't the case, but you got to think that's a little bit of a cloud, just knowing that perhaps Mac Jones is vaccinated, so thus he will be playing every week. Um, and the Urban Meyer even came out yesterday saying that he did consider vaccination status in the final roster, kind of just knowing the implications. And it's a very steep in the difference in processes between vax and unvax. We don't need to get into that now. I don't know. Like, but it's very different. I think not, it's, you know? yeah, it's, it's worth noting how much time even just being around somebody, you know, close mm -hmm. contact, close proximity you can, yeah. uh, you can miss. And they had a good example. I forget who it was, but it was somebody on the Jaguars who didn't even test positive. He was just exposed as a high exposure or whatever they're calling that. He missed two weeks, didn't have COVID, tested negative every time, yeah. every fucking time. That's crazy. Yeah. So that's neither here nor there, but I'm feeling great about Cam, our, uh, Mac attack, baby. Just switch the C and the M, you know, we go from Cam to Mac real quick, <clears throat> and we still have a quarterback that has three letters in his first name and five letters in his last name. So <laughs> history repeats My mind itself. Is blown. Time My is mind cyclical. is blown. This is a simulation. The Patriots are winning the Super Bowl. You heard well, it look, before. here's the deal. We, we need to agree on a split 
of the division games between Miami and New England. No sweeps there. Week I just one, think that would be right? unfortunate for both. So week one, we come right out the gate. We come yeah. right out the gate. We'll see who gets number one. <laughs> we're going to have fun with this one. I'm glad this is – we didn't know this going in, what we were both picking. So this works out nicely. Um, another interesting wrinkle is we are both backing, uh, you know, well, Belichick and a Belichick disciple-led coach. We're staying in the same division, two head-to-head games. You got two Alabama quarterbacks, one a rookie, one in the second year. I mean, we're we're going to have we're gonna have some fun. You know? Yeah, there's so much overlap here that, you know, again, <laughs> to the listeners, you know, I don't see Ant's notes until about 10 minutes before the show starts. Yeah. So we come in relatively blind with what each other want to talk about to kind of keep it real and raw and just kind of be conversational. Um, so <laughs> to see this much overlap, it was meant to be. That's all I got. Great minds. Great minds. Well, yeah. look, two, two other three, two or three other quick things to hit on. Just, um, you know, as you're looking out there, I know we're talking about the AFC um, I think the Cleveland Browns, obviously an AFC team embedded in the AFC North. I think they are at least one of the articles I was reading a couple of weeks ago. It could have shifted by now. But at some point, a lot of the books in Vegas uh, were saying overall that was their biggest liability from a Super Bowl perspective. I think the Browns sitting at plus 1600 uh, to win it all. So interesting, you know, upswing for this team. They've gone from, you know, heavy, you know, terrible, right? Can't win a game over three years to um you know heavy sleeper favorite team to kind of snap out of it they don't quite hit that last year expectations were a little bit lower now i think you're swinging the pendulum back where maybe those expectations combined with the value um you know people do have some faith in the talent that's on that team so interesting thing just to see right the rise and fall of uh, the cleveland browns yeah i mean and they're electric to watch right i had both yeah. chubb and hunt on my fantasy team last year and what then a duo. Had to start baker in a streaming because uh, because of some schedule complications and it won me an absolutely key matchup. It was the one game that Baker like went off. Uh, so I'm a, a pseudo Browns fan. I mean, who's not, right? This is the worst team in the history of the NFL. <laughs> yeah. like, it's cool that yeah. they're walking. And then, I mean, they're all electric factory. The Sellies, the, the talent. You know, it's, it's yeah. a fun team to watch. So uh, I absolutely. understand the liability. I will not be taking any action on them one way or the other. Right. I'm not 100% sold on Baker, but he does look pretty good. And they've got all the receivers in the world. And I love Jarvis Blessum Landry. So all good things. Yeah. Another big thing I think you could look for is I think the Texans could be historically bad. We just talked about the Browns being historically bad. Uh, but that Texans team really lacks a lot of talent on that roster. We don't know the Deshaun Watson situation. We won't get into the legality of it all and what the NFL might step in and do. You're still hearing trade rumors, so that could happen too. Um, but even around him, right, Watson on or off the team, the rest of that team is really uh, interesting. Bill O'Brien, unfortunately, did not set them up for success with roster construction, wearing the head coach GM dual duties. Um, the rest of the conference, I still think, can be feisty. You know, some of those lower teams are Jets, Bengals, Jags. Uh, the Jags are probably one tier up from the Texans. A lot of offensive line issues. We saw that in the preseason. Um, but at least with those three teams, you have young quarterbacks, teams trying to build a better culture, a lot of new coaching situations. Um, so I think that's good enough to at least keep them in the mix. And again, I, I use the word feisty. I think those teams are going to be tougher outs, um, but I don't see that with the Texans. So you could look for the Texans for maybe worst record or maybe they're under win total. Um, it's probably going to be pretty low, maybe adjusted win total. Um, just other things to, to think about. I don't know if you have anything to add on the conference itself. No, I've got nothing else on that conference specifically. Um, I do have the Titans to win the AFC championship at plus 1150. Um, nice. Have, have those odds moved from when you grabbed it? Yeah, I think it was hovering around 950. This was more of a reaction to Wentz going down, and I wasn't sure right. when he'd be back. So kind of just like a fun upside hedge because I do think they're pretty loaded, especially adding Julio. So I guess if that defense can get it together, 
but it might not even matter with those stallions controlling the clock, just kind of playing, you know, Titans football, yeah. if you will. I yeah. thought that was interesting and honestly just kind of like a nice hedge of fandom. Um, the only other bet I've got here in the AFC is the Colts. Colts plus 105 at over nine. Uh, I'll run through this quickly, but just the things I like. Strength of schedule, 23rd in the league. Uh, 478 is the, the winning uh, of their opponents from last year. Always good. Uh, but both offensively and defensively in terms of efficiency, DVOA, very, very solid. Again, those statistics are from footballoutsiders.com. Number 12 on offense, number 7 on defense. And, you know, again, this is kind of like another narrative play. Uh, I think the narrative yeah. around Carson Wentz is is a little off. You know, not that he's been amazing by any means, but if you look at his stat seasons in Philly, there's always been something wrong in order to get them to becoming like a championship caliber team. And sometimes that's the quarterback, sometimes that's not. But the quarterback, I think, takes a lot of that blame. So you look at... You know, 2016 rookie year, he had a great offensive line, 13th in the league. He had a good defense, number 11 the points allowed. His top wide receiver ranking, the number one receiver was ranked 75th in the league. That's going to be tough to be a big, good quarterback with that. Fast forward to 2017, his defense was fourth in points allowed. His receiver was better at 32. Offensive line falls to 22nd. So all of a sudden, he's got a good receiver and a good defense, but no protection. Interesting. 2018, more of the same. Offensive line still terrible at 19th. Defense still good at 9. And wide receivers great at 14, but a big drop off after Alshon, number 77. The Eagles then don't reload at wide receiver. They stick with Alshon. He becomes the 53rd receiver in the league in 2019. So no receiver. And, they, and they, I think they made some uh, some stretches in the draft at receiver mm-hmm. to kind of continue, you know, you know, making that problem worse. Yep, exactly. So in that one, in, in 2019, his offensive line is 14th. His defense boards allowed is 15th. So both a little bit more towards the average side of things with a receiver of Alshon at 53. Just not set up for success. But we come into Indianapolis here. Assuming he can stay healthy, that's a big asterisk. That's a big if. But their offensive line was seventh in pass protection last year. That's going to be the best of Carson Wentz's career. His defense was number seven in DVOA. That's going to be up there for best of Carson Wentz's career. 11th in points allowed. I mean, Phillip Rivers threw a couple of questionable interceptions here and there last season, putting them in a very tough spot. But it's the best line he's had, the second best defense he's had, and both of his receivers last year, if they assume, are 27 and 37. So that's the best duo of receivers he'll have in his career as well. Add in a pretty deep backfield, it just feels good for me. I love this Colts team. Uh, I think they're gritty, and I think they're well-coached. And I think uh, I think with, with the narrative, I think the NFL is so narrative-driven, especially by media talking heads, that these lines move often because of those opinions. So I think finding a sharp, contrarian opinion – and hammering it makes sense. So I'm on the Colts over nine at plus 105. I do not hate that. I'm high on that roster as well. And just the construction they've done over the year. I love when you start with the hogs and the offensive line and, and build out. And they've been a highly ranked offensive line over the last few. I was actually really high on them going in with the Phillip Rivers upgrade from Jacoby and, uh, you know, some of the other former quarterbacks there. Unfortunately, I think he was a little bit more on the other side. He needed a little bit more TB. 12 method and a little less Philip Rivers, nine kids uh, or however many kids he's got now method. Um, but unfortunately, you know, they didn't quite get there and probably live up to expectations. So I think it's a, it's a good spot for Wentz. Should be a fun team to watch. And look, you got to remember, I talked about some of the, the bottom dwellers and two of them are in that division, right? So, you know, if you don't think the Jags and the Texans are any good, yeah, that could be four wins right, right there just to springboard a team, right? Get some confidence, get in the mix, get in the playoff hunt. So you never know. Yeah, 100%. And on the Phillip Rivers kids, what is it? Is it nine at this point? I, I think it's nine, but I I could be mixing it up with the great Antonio Cromartie. Well, sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're both just popping out children like it's their yeah. job. I forget exactly 
I think it was Dion Lewis when he was playing with Rivers. Um, maybe I made that up. I forget exactly who it was. Um, but he uh, he said something to the, I was looking for the specific quote. I can't find it. Um, but it was it was something to the tune of <laughs> it was like a pre outside the locker room or like on the field, and, and Rivers was surrounded by his nine children. Uh, and you know Dion Lewis. I think it was Dion again. I, he he was like. Wow, this is so nice of Philip to you know do meet and greets you know before practice like that while while everybody else is getting ready. Like talk about a man who's, who's giving back to the, to, to the youth, and then he found out later that it was, his, uh, it was the whole family. Children, yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty hilarious. Uh, nine kids, seven girls, two boys, ranging from two to nineteen. Now, now Cromartie has fourteen. We won't get into the details of the fourteen there, but Cromartie wow. has fourteen. Epic. Epic. I have, I have less than that, and it's staying that way. Yeah, I've got zero kids, but I've got a lot of beers, and I treat those as my children. So, take us out, sir. Take us out. All right, quick hitters. Yeah, thanks everybody for listening. This is short term high volatility investments. We obviously hit the AFC East or the AFC. We hit the AFC East hard today, but we, we quick AFC preview uh, recap of bets. Odds fellow over here is on Miami team total over. I'm on the Patriots team total over, as well as the Patriots to win the division. That is a homer bet. The total is not. Uh, I'm on the Titans to win the AFC championship as a Hail Mary at plus 1100, 1150, I believe it was. And I'm also on the Colts team total over uh, at nine. Ant also thinks that there's some interesting phase maybe in the Texans. He likes the Steelers. He thinks that the Browns are sexy. And whether sexy equates to a bet, stay tuned. Watch our Twitter feeds. Next week, we're coming at you with the NFC, and then it's kickoff. This is short-term high-volatility investments.